Greetings, lovely listeners. You are listening to Saga, a podcast where a dude and a chick discuss art and animation. So this week we will be discussing a very important artist as well as many of his feature films, Hayao Miyazaki. We launch off our month of Miyazaki with film of Castle of Cagliostro and Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. But first the news. All right, so in our first and only news story, we have the documentary of of 10 years with Hayao Miyazaki. It's online for free. You can like click the link on our website to like find it. But what's cool about this is, is that if, if you've seen the Never Ending Man documentary, which we'll, we'll probably be talking about in, in a later episode, it's this uh, four part series is directed by Kaku Arakawa, who um, directed the Never Ending Man. So if you like that, you'll probably like this. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. It looks pretty good. We are now going to be talking about Miyazaki's early life and his early works before we get into some of his uh, more meteor projects that he's well known for. Miyazaki was born January 5th, 1941 in Akebunkyo, Tokyo. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> That sounded pretty good, yeah. I think that sounded pretty good. Um, that was that pretty, yeah, that was impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he was the second of four sons. His father was actually the lead, the director of Miyazaki Airplane, which was a manufacturer of rudders for fighter planes during World War II. And what's cool about that is that in a lot of Miyazaki's work, there's there's like lots of planes, air aircraft. I think his father's work really had a big influence on him. During the war, when, when he was about three years old, Utsu Tonomiya, that's where he he lived at the time it actually got bombed during this time uh, this actually left like a huge impact on Miyazaki and definitely carved out like a, a hole in his heart I guess you could say which I'm sure we'll talk about later he quote saying during this time the sky was lit as if it was dawn from the flames of, uh, of the burning building so this was actually complete and utter devastation over 802 tons of bombs were dropped over 628 dead over 1100 injured 9400 buildings destroyed and over for 47,000 people were left homeless. Spoiler alert, this audio may contain spoilers, so please proceed with caution or an open mind. I don't care. Miyazaki was influenced primarily by Osamu Tezuka, who you may uh, know him from Astro Boy or Kimba the White Lion. He is one of the most prolific manga artists of all time. He really decided to get into drawing manga when he was in junior high school, but he quickly realized that he really couldn't draw people all too well. So during this time, he mostly drew planes, tanks, battleships for the next several years, which is that which I, which is actually quite um, it, it's quite a uh, uplifting, for lack of a better word. Didn't. Sh- oh yeah, right. No, but I say that because okay so you're in middle school so you're like 12 13 so he went from like not being able to to draw people to being able to draw people and a bunch of different poses making them move you know so it's like he he may not have been good at it but he worked at it really hard and became you know world famous 
literally the best of the best. Yeah. What I mentioned about Osamu te, 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 Tezuka is that Miyazaki was so influenced by him that he actually copied most of his earlier works from from him. So this is why you really don't see much early work from him is because he got rid of most of it. He like burned it and threw it away is because he felt that he was copying his style and he wanted to, you know, create something. He, he wanted to create something of his own, which is unfortunate because I would like to see, you know, like how he grew as an artist. But alas, uh, we do not have such fortune. So during high school, this is the time when he actually started to gain more of an interest, more um, more of an investment in animation. And this was mostly sparked by the film Panda and the Magic Serpent uh, from 1958. And he fell in love with this, with the movie's heroine, uh, not the drug, but the uh, female hero. And it left him with a strong impression during high school, uh, he a- he actually like sketched in his middle school te- his middle school te- teacher's studio, where they would talk about politics, life, um, and all sorts of things. And he actually graduated university in 1963 with a degree in political science and economics. It's very interesting. Uh, don't don't you uh, aren't you taking political science? Right. Yep, I have a degree in political science and a degree in theater performance. Well, there, well, there you go. You're uh, on your way to become the world's next greatest animator. Oh, that's yeah. very nice of you. Yeah. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> After university is, pre- is mostly where his career started to kick off. He enrolled or was hired at Toei Animation in 1963. And he was an in-between artist, and he 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 worked on things like Doggy March and Wolf Boy Ken from 1963, and also worked on Gulliver's Tra- Traveler, Gulliver's Travels Beyond the Moon in, in 1964, and among his other works at at Toei, The Great Adventure of Horus, Prince of the Sun in 68, People of the Desert. Um, the Wonderful World of Puss in Boots in 69, Flying Phantom Ships in 1969, Animal Treasure Island in 1971, and Alibaba and the Forty Thieves in 1971. During his work, his um, his uh, tenure at Toei, something really interesting and important happened. About one year into his uh, his employment at, at Toei, uh, he got in a dispute with one of the leaders at the time and uh stuff happened and he got um a pro he got pro- promoted as um chief secretary of toei <clears throat> of toei's labor union so he, he was like in his 20s at the time he rose to the ranks quick quickly and it's actually interesting how big of a role he got so quickly and i guess shaped his narcissism no that's not mm. uh his um ego ego but i think he 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 got too like he got too much power too quickly 
which 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 may have affected his uh like cynical approach to animation and art and stuff um later are on you, are you saying that he just didn't like doing animation after a while or was it well like uh it's like okay so uh miyazaki is what's known as an artor director which means like he pretty much has like complete control over every aspect of the project like uh for example quentin tarantino like wes anderson david lynch these guys hmm. so if you've noticed the theme with the with these guys and with these artors is that they kind of have like uh like a bossy know-it-all yeah. kind of thing so it's very inflated they've got yeah. inflated egos yeah so but you know it it works like these are you know these guys all have you know really strong bodies of work so you know i guess it <laughs> i guess it works but anyway uh right so he left toei in 71 he got a job at apro for a little bit and this is where he directed and co-directed the loop in the third 23 episode series so this is good because we're, we're slowly edging up toward the castle of Cagliostro so uh, during these 23 episodes he he got familiar with with the characters for better or for worse which we'll talk about soon there was also a Pippi Long stocking series that they were working on at the time but it went un unfinished and was canceled the people long stocking series was canceled after the the estate owners the lingrid family they didn't allow the project to happen which is um unfortunate and and that same story actually happened to a later series which is like Sher sherlock hound i think um, yeah, they, they weren't able to finish that for the same reason, uh, which Japan has a different outlook on rights and likenesses of characters. If you've noticed like anime and things like that, they'll be like weird parody versions of familiar characters. That's a lot more accepted there than it is here. So unfortunately, that didn't really really bode well for them in the case of the Pippi Longstocking and the Sherlock Hound series hmm. and he he only stayed at April f for about two years and then left to Zuyo Aizo in June 1973 and, Zu and Zuyo Aizo later became Nippon Animation which is like one of the either one of or the biggest um animation like studio networks in japan he worked there for a, a few years worked on future future boy conan in, in 1978 which is like what, what um a really popular series even now like i've heard i've heard about it but haven't gotten around to watching it and after 78 this is where he leaves N nippon moves to telecom animation and this is where he directs his first feature film the castle of cagliostro this was during 19 like 78 79 miyazaki was like in, in in his like late 30s or something so he was pretty old before he 
you know, really got noticed. Mm. Much like JK Rowling from the Harry Potter series, like she was 30 when those books got pop got popular. So, you know, hearing things like this really make me feel like I'm not wasting my life, <laughs> you know, like I'm really not was wasting my time because, you know, these old folks, you know, they, they cut their breaks late. But anyway, moving on to one of the big pieces of this show, The Castle of Cagliostro. Um, this was an interesting movie. This was his first movie feature film and it's about Lupin it is about Lupin and his partner Jigen they rob a casino and they realize that the money is counterfeit so they decide to like track down the source of the counterfeits which lead them to uh Cag the, the like country of Cagliostro and then this is when they get involved with like a princess and this uh this evil count um and there's a, a conspiracy toward the count the count uh cagliostro wants to like marry the princess and they both have these special rings the king the count ha has a ring and the princess has a ring and the count needs the princess's ring in order to unlock a secret like treasure but what's weird is <laughs> is that the guy apparently needs to marry the princess in order to steal the ring but he gets it anyway without marrying her so it's like why did they waste <laughs> half the plot of the movie trying to get married when he could have just stole it so well it was his first movie <laughs> give him a break all right yeah like so he he steals the ring but what's weird is is that when he gets both rings, they, you know, he gets both rings to unlock the treasure. He gets them both and like puts them in this special like compartment to where the treasure will open or activate. So he puts them in and it kills him. Like what, what treasure kills the one that found it? But what's weirder is, is that the, the treasure was actually the lost city of Atlantis. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> there was a lot. That jumped real quick. So, was it rings or was it the lost city of Atlantis? I'm so confused well, the, now. The rings were keys to unlock the city. But you don't find that out until the very end? Or was it like hinted? Like. Yeah, you don't find that out until the very end. Okay, all right. so you mentioned or you commented about what I commented about in that the the story was like kind of bouncing around and had like plot holes and stuff so this is a theme with most of his movies in that he M miyazaki has a very strange uh like writing style so he'll like storyboard and like write the the uh, movie story as he goes along like he you know he 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 he's even said himself that he doesn't know how the movie will end like he just does it you know that's what i love about his movies you don't expect it yeah and and i think he tightened the reins in some of his later works because this movie sort of kind of goes on like tangents like our older podcasts and take mm. a while 
to like circle back or sometimes it doesn't they don't even circle back at all yep this film uh, has a, a lot of chase scenes in it i think that's a, a running theme in his works he likes chase scenes these elaborate like set pieces this has a really cool 70s sensibility to it with its uh sound effects and editing it's really i, I think out of all of his movies his feature films this one is is the most unlike his later works it's it still seems like i kind of felt like it was like watching voltron like have you ever watched the like the older like 70s voltron mm-hmm. yeah it kind of felt like that with like the weird dialogue the the cliche villain the bland love interest kind of deal ah uh, gotcha what's good about this is that you could see some of the subtle quirks and the personality and the body language of the characters, which I think is a strong aspect of his work because you'll hear him in interviews talking about like the body, you know, the body is, is important and it's important to like get, get the gesture down. So it's really cool to like read about or observe that he was doing this even at this time but i do think one of the biggest flaws of this is that i think that that the viewer would need to have prior knowledge to the lupin franchise to to really understand to really appreciate the characters and stuff because the characters have a lot of uh, like baggage like they have history that that isn't really said and it and the way the movie comes across kind of feels like they want you or they expect you you to know these characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're an American, I doubt that you would know what the Lupin franchise is because I'm an American and I don't know what that is. Yeah, I I heard it's a good series. Um, maybe there's another Lupin movie and we can talk about that maybe. But you know what? This 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 feels like... Have you ever like seen the Pokemon series and then there's the Pokemon movies? Yes. And the Pokemon movies kind of expect you to know these characters? Yeah, oh yeah. That it's like that. But one of the highlights of this is the castle which most of the movie takes place in. It's like filled with these water tunnels and like hidden areas. It's really cool and it really sparks my imagination and makes me want to explore the castle and, and like snorkel through the tunnels the water tunnels it's pretty cool but i would recommend this if you're a miyazaki fan if you're an animation fan if you're a, a lupin fan uh, steven spielberg has actually said that uh this film has one of like the best car chases uh like best car chase scenes of of uh of all time but this is during the uh, 70s so, so i'm not sure if if it still takes the uh the gold on that but it, it's a good chase scene it's a good movie definitely go check it out so on to nausicaa valley of the valley of the wind nausicaa is a princess of the valley of the wind and is faced with obstacles of 
her kingdom being invaded by other kingdoms and using lands as a location for their wars against each other, against the spread of the toxic jungle and against the Omu, which are giant insects who rule the desert lands and demand the balance of peace among all living creatures. In order to save her kingdom and everyone in it, she must make the ultimate sacrifice to end the global war. This movie has been very impactful on me, and I can't believe I've seen it. Like, I have not seen it before. I honestly think that this film surpasses my love of Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro, because this was, this was a masterpiece, and it's highly underrated. So a little bit of a fact about Nausicaa, the character Nausicaa is, I wouldn't say she's based off of Homer's The Odyssey, but she's got the same name. In The Odyssey, the hero Odysseus was washed ashore on the island of Phasica, and he needed help. He didn't have any clothes, he didn't have any weapons, anything he was holding onto was all gone, washed away. And he washed ashore, and there were handmaidens that were there that were kind of laughing at him because <laughs> he was like this naked guy that just washed up on shore. So they were just not helping him. And Nausicaa was the only character that would go to help him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend this film. This was one of the best films I've ever seen. Wow, that's interesting. So, th so, so this was your your first time seeing it this past yes. week. Yes, yes, wow. that's awesome. I plan to rewatch it over and over again. It, I think that the insects and like the creativity behind the toxic forest was, it was immersive. You know, like in Spirited Away, in My Neighbor Totoro, we see normal forests, but seeing this mushroom fungus infested forest just, I and I, for those of you that don't know, I'm an amateur mushroom hunter on, on my normal days. Like I go out and I go hunt mushrooms. So seeing this is like, oh, wow, this is a really cool place. I wish that this existed so that I could go and study it. Like Nausicaa does. She goes and collects all of these different types of fungi and different types of plants. And she uses their toxicity and she, she finds a way to take the toxicity out of the plants simply because of water. There was a, I was reading some lore on this film too. One of the things that a lot of people brought up was that they think that Nausicaa, this movie is actually like Mars and hmm. like people killed off, kill, killed off earth. And so now they've, they've, civilized mars and this is actually mars there's just like all these insects and yeah so i mean that's just one of the kind of what do you want to call it it's it's um, not what? lore it's it's just like a a myth like trivia trivia or something like a, yeah, like a factoid it's, but it's not even a factoid like miyazaki never confirmed it it was just kind of like speculation a, is that a, a theory a theory okay this this film is like one of his first first works that really show that really shows the audience his love of nature and 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 his sort of uh like pessimistic view on like on like people and harming the environment you know so yeah he 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 really cares deep cares deeply about that and and uh and i'm sure in some later show we'll talk more about it but he he basically says that 
he has very pessimistic outlook like he thinks that that we're pretty much all screwed and but he likes to give kids like some hope that you know maybe things can change but there's he, a way out yeah but he's pretty much just paying lip service to kids so they aren't scared but he pretty much says that we're he thinks we're screwed <laughs> huh, huh. i don't know i think okay so yeah. <laughs> i mean I, I could see how hayao miyazaki would say that but like no you're you're totally right because like when people were questioning about his his premise behind making this film and other films like it that have a female protagonist in it they they quote them as being feminist and being progressive and Hayao Miyazaki's like no I just I like to entertain people <laughs> right there is a quote I don't have it but it it's something like the reason why he chooses like girls for most of his his movies is that he he thinks that like girls are like more sin, like more sincere like he thinks that guys are like they 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 more ego driven like show offy mm-hmm. so yeah so he thinks that like women or girls are more genuine yeah and um i noticed too because nasica is red haired there's a lot of red haired women and short short red hair and short dark hair women as protagonists in many of his films and i mean you're you're gonna see this as we discuss this throughout the month but in movies like spirited away in movies like princess mononoke they all have short hair or they have like progressive changes from long hair or they they change i mean a lot of people put some symbolism into that like maybe a red-haired female is more fiery or maybe a a dark-haired female is more timid, something along those lines. But Hayao Miyazaki never confirmed any of this. This was all um, subjection of what people thought. So this film was released after Hayao Miyazaki was originally supposed to make a manga out of it. And he had proposed several different projects that he was trying to get off the ground, but the studio that he was working with ended up just telling him, you know, like, hey, take your sketches, maybe we'll do something with it later. Well, ended up having enough sketches to make a manga, which is Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, then later on was proposed to make a film out of it, and it only took them a year to make this film. That's an incredible, like, feat. Like, this movie's, like, almost, like, two hours, I think, and it's really well done production started may 31st 1983 and then was released on march 11th 1984 so it was even less than a year (laughs) it took off and it ended up having 1.448 billion yen box office which like kind of translates to like 13 million us dollars out of box office which is super impressive so what so when you mentioned the manga that this is like sort of based on so when they came to him about making a movie they like the manga only had about like 16 17 chapters which is interesting in that 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 he would later work more on the manga for like another six or seven years the manga is is likely completely different 
in terms of like length, scale, and the ending. So I'm actually curious about reading it. I did read like some of it back in like college. Uh, I, I don't really remember too much of it. Yeah. Maybe now more of it will stick if you go back and read it about where where he was at in his life and how he got to that point of just making manga for. And it seems like that's a pretty prominent thing about a lot of what he's done. And that's something I never took into consideration when thinking about Hayao Miyazaki. I thought maybe it was just like a passion project and he's just been an artist his whole life and he wanted to do animations. Mm -hmm. And like, I always thought he was always an animator. I never once considered that he was a manga artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think most Japanese people like manga is like, really important there and it's it's like everyone reads it there are like pretty much every genre for every age and gender and all all, all kinds of things like i told you about uh like gay volleyball or something mm -hmm. like that that's pretty niche <laughs> i don't know maybe not but <laughs> that's, you know like like cooking there's like stuff about cooking and golf pretty interesting but yeah like manga is really big there you know during this time animation was still really expensive like castle of cagliostro was like 500 million dollars to make that's insane like avengers endgame's budget was like 500 million that's wild just to think about so animation was really expensive at, at this time so uh, that's probably why more people weren't interested in it but now it's like super cheap anyone can do it but final thoughts catch you next time yeah next week we'll be covering castle in the sky as well as my neighbor totoro 